I want to encourage you now. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. As we read through Hebrews chapter 11 to 12-2. A very well-known section of text. Sometimes called the Hall of Faith or the Heroes of the Faith or the Faith Chapter. It is a long text that we have here, but it is pertinent to our series. We have been talking about the subject of anxiety and worry because oftentimes anxiety and worry come because of a misplacement of our faith. And so we look at these examples of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be reading the entire chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, which gives us, first off, a definition of faith, and then many examples of faithfulness and exhibiting that faith in God. Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which had foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead, at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore." All these died in faith without having received the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, when they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient, for she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection, and others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom this world was not worthy wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect therefore since we have such great cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God let's pray our God what a blessing it is to hear from you 
to hear from your word. We pray, O God, that we might always have a reverence, O God, for your word, for these come from your mouth. Examples by which we might follow. And once again, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see great and mighty things which we do not yet know. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, there was a series on television before the Winter Olympics. And the Winter Olympics are coming in a couple of years from now. And there was a series or or a show that featured blind skiers. Skiers who had trained for slalom skiing. Now, slalom is no small hill by which they were to ski down These were blind skiers, and the question is, how did they train them how to ski down a slalom when people here who can see, probably very few of you would even dare venture to to ski down a slalom slope. What they would do is they would take these individuals who were blind, and they would pair them up with someone else who was sighted, and on the flats they would teach them and train them to follow these skiers who would say right, left, right, left. And those of you who have been skiing before know something similar. When you see little kids who learn how to ski, their teachers tell them, pizza, hot dog, pizza, hot dog, as they ski down the slope. And here they are. There are these blind skiers who learn to follow and they will turn left, turn right, turn left to right. And they're completely dependent upon those who can see. Then they go up to the slalom. They go up to the slalom, which is very steep incline, and they will listen to these folks as they tell them, right, left, right, left. And if it weren't for these people, they would be tumbling down this hill breaking all sorts of bones. And yet that is such a picture of what it is to live by faith, isn't it? Because we as Christians, we think oftentimes we can see when really we're like those blind skiers. And the Word of God is plain to us as a light into our path that tells us left, right, left, right. And if we only follow, we have no problem getting down that hill and crossing the finish line. Living by faith requires our trust in God, doesn't it? It requires that we trust God even though we cannot see around that last mogul that might be there, which is huge, and yet it tells us, turn right, turn left. And we're to follow, isn't it? We've been talking about this subject of anxiety and worry for the past two weeks and how we're commanded not to worry because God is the provider and God is the one who takes care of the birds and God is the one that clothes the grasses of the field and God is the one who has said not even don't worry but in the second command Jesus says what? He says don't even start to worry and yet oftentimes we do and the question is why? One of the reasons is because of a misdirected faith We place our eyes not on the things that God says, but we place our eyes upon everything else. And when we do, we have fear and that faith is misdirected, misplaced because your faith is only as good as the object you place it in, isn't it? 
I mean, we exercise faith all the time. We exercise faith. Well, you exercise faith when you came in here. You sat on that chair, believing that that chair would hold you up. You came in here and you sat down. You believe that if you sit here, the ceiling won't collapse upon you. You have faith in this building. You exercise faith and your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. For Christians, when difficulties come, especially those who don't know Christ, their faith is often misplaced when anxiety takes hold of their heart. Worry. Because why? Faith is placed in everything else but God and His promises and what God has said. We place our faith in ourselves many times. Have you ever heard that? You go to other countries, especially those that are communistic. They ask, whom do you believe in? And they're taught to believe in yourself. You believe in yourself. Some people here in the States teach that too. They say, believe in yourself. Don't trust anyone. Believe in yourself. They place their faith in their own abilities or they place their faith in their own accomplishments. They place their faith in their spouse or in their talents or their possessions. The things that we own. They place their faith in their intelligence or their health. And when all of those things fail, then life seems to crumble and fall apart. Faith in anything or anyone other than God and His promises is a frail faith. And if we're going to walk securely, if we're going to walk a secure life that can walk through life despite the circumstances that surround you and I, that come upon us, then it's imperative. We are people who walk by faith, who trust in God. For God never fails us. God will never let us down. God knows what is best for us. God is a God who is good and loving and does He not give good gifts to His children. God is and always will be forever in control. And so we look at these examples of faith and we see at least nine examples of faith here or nine attributes of true faith. But it begins here in the first couple of verses of what true faith is. What is true faith? For it says in verse 1 and 2, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. The definition of faith is given here. It's not some wishful thinking. It's not some remote hope that I, I have faith that it'll be that'll stop raining today or whatever. It's not some hope. It is a guaranteed assurance that something will come to pass. Faith is hope that is so real. It is so sure. It is the assurance of things hoped for. The Word of God gives us promises by which we are sure these things will come to pass. And it often happens that these things are in the future that God wants us to have faith in. Faith in Him that He will do what He says He will do. Promises of what God will do in our life, etc. And it is by faith that even those of old gained approval. What does that text mean? I mean, some people ask, well, how did salvation come to those people in the Old Testament? I mean, if they came, if you are saved because a person places their faith in Christ. What about the people in the Old Testament before Christ was born 2,000 years ago? After all, the earth is older than just 2,000 years. Salvation came to those in the Old Testament prior to the time of Christ. It was always 
by faith. It was by grace through the means of faith. And faith is only as good as the object you place it in. And so in the Old Testament, those Old Testament saints, as we call them, who had faith in God, whom God revealed Himself to be at that time, who believed God, God granted to them salvation. God granted to them righteousness. Just like Abraham. And Abraham, when he believed God, God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, didn't He? In Genesis 15:6, it says, Abraham believed God. And what did God do? And God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved when he believed God and he had his faith in God. So too, the saints of the Old Testament, when they believed God, when they placed their faith in God, in whom God had revealed himself to be, They were saved by that means. And now in these times, in the New Testament times, God has revealed Himself through the person of Jesus Christ. We know that because God has done that, it is imperative that people know who Christ is if they are going to be saved. But people today, we have faith in ourselves, we're often taught. Yet, we become sick or God takes away our health and our faith fails. But faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And here it gives us nine examples or characteristics of what true faith is. What does true faith look like? What does true faith believe in? And the first thing it says in verse 3 is that true faith believes God is the Creator. It believes God is the Creator. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God. Being seen, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. This is extremely important, especially in light of the past 140 years, when Charles Darwin wrote his book entitled The Origin of the Species and propagated the idea of evolution. Some people believe that out of some matter, there was a big bang and the universe was created. But the Bible says, who created the universe? God created the universe. God created mankind in Genesis 1. God spoke and everything came into being. God created all things. He created it out of nothing. In Latin it is called ex nihilo, out of nothing. It is because of that very fact that God is the Creator that in Revelation 4.11 it says that the 24 elders who are around the throne of God bow down, cast their crowns before the throne of Christ and say, Worthy are You, our God and our Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and because of Your will they existed and were created. They were created, the Scriptures, by a normal hermeneutic, by plain reading of the first chapter. One would come to the conclusion that one is reading that these were in seven days. These were seven literal 24-hour days. Especially in the words that are used. The word for day is yom. And each time yom is used before and there's an ordinal number attached to it, it is in reference to. All the biblical references are to a 24-hour period. And it is also the pattern by which we were to follow. Six days we were to work and on the seventh we were to rest. Things were created in an age-apparent manner. 
Some wonder, well, how about accounting for things such as the light that comes from distant stars or novas that explode? It has taken billions of years or millions of years for it to travel such and such distance. Of course, God created things that were age apparent. God didn't create Adam as some sort of two-celled organism that was in some primordial goop in the ground and then later on he became a man. God created Adam as a man. God created too the earth as a completed unit. He created even the light that travels, that has traveled from distant areas. He's created things that are age apparent. And that would be the normal hermeneutic applying that to the book of Genesis chapter 1. God is the creator and not to acknowledge Him as the creator is to what? Not have faith. And it is by faith that we believe God is the Creator, as it says here in the text. The second aspect of true faith is that a faith worships and follows God. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. You ever wonder why? I wondered why as a little boy. Why did God not like Cain's sacrifice? Why did God like Abel's? And Cain was jealous he killed Abel. James Moffat wrote, Death is never the last word in the life of a righteous man. When a man leaves this world, be he righteous or unrighteous, he leaves something in the world. He may leave something that will grow and spread like a cancer or a poison. Or he may leave something like the fragrance of perfume. Or a blossom of beauty that permeates the atmosphere with blessing. And here, the life of Abel as he left, left something in which dead men do tell tales. Why was it that God was pleased? Well, Abel brought the first of his flocks and Cain brought some type of produce from the ground. In the Old Testament, there was nothing inherently wrong with bringing a grain offering or offering from the ground. But we know that God somehow had spoken to Cain and Abel in the beginning times. Otherwise, they would not have even known that they were to bring sacrifices. And part of the assumption is that they knew what would please God, that God had given them instruction as to what to bring. But it's interesting because even in the offerings of the Old Testament, the offering for sin was always first. The offering of sin was a priority. It was that of the shedding of blood that made atonement for sin. The blood offerings in the Mosaic Covenants were always first. And so it is possible that Cain's sacrifice, though it was acceptable as a grain offering, he had come to worship and to sacrifice on his own terms. On his own terms, he wanted to say, well, I'm going to bring what I'm good at. I'm going to bring whatever I feel like I'm going to bring. And yet, it is perhaps probably God's instruction that the sin offering was to come first. And so too, for us, when we come to God, we don't come in a self-styled worship. Say, well, I'm just going to come how I am and just uh, do whatever I want. You know, you ever look at the Old Testament, and sometimes I think about this even as I come to worship on a Sunday morning. God had given them specific instructions, and I realized that the Mosaic Covenant was given so that we might understand our sin, or those in the Old Testament would understand their sin. But there was a process, too. There was a pattern. There was a reverence and a respect that they had for God that I think is also communicated in that. And so we come to God with that type of attitude. We want to come to God on His terms. And anybody who doesn't know the Lord comes to God on 
God's terms as well. That is the second aspect of faith. We come and are worshippers and followers of God like Abel. The third aspect of faith though is the true faith lives by faith. Enoch here was taken up. He wouldn't see death it says. Is not found because God took him up. Not only did Abel please God, but so did Enoch. And Enoch was one of two people in the Bible that never saw death. Enoch, it says in Genesis 5, walked with God. Can you imagine that? Imagine someday you, you die and you go home to be with the Lord. What would you want your epitaph on your tombstone to say? He was a... Nice man, very generous or very good to his children. What would you like those people to say about you? I remember going to a funeral. It was a funeral. Uh, somebody I knew, their father had passed away and they had hired some pastor to do the funeral. And so the pastor went up there and gave his message, you know, and said this so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, loved his children, was generous towards his children, was kind to his children, always gracious to his children, etc., etc., etc. Later on, that daughter came up to me and said, I don't know what that pastor was talking about. That was my dad. <laughs> what would you like people to remember you by? Someday, when you go home to be with the Lord... That so-and-so walked with God? To live by faith, Jean-Pierre writes in Discipleship Journal, to live by faith is to live joyfully. To live with assurance, untroubled by doubts, and with complete confidence in all we have to do and suffer at each moment by the will of God. We must realize that it is in order to stimulate and sustain this faith that God allows the soul to be buffeted and swept away by the raging torrent of so much distress, so many troubles, so much embarrassment and weaknesses, and so many setbacks. For it is essential to have faith to find God behind all of this. And at times when life is just difficult, as we find our nation in and perhaps our own lives in, it is essential that we live by faith to find God behind all the things that happen. Because God has ordained things to come to pass. And to see that God has a purpose for us even in that. Fourthly, a faith that is true pleases God. It pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. The one that comes to God must believe that God is who he is. They can't have a different God. When I was a student in the UW, we'd come and, and after, on Friday afternoons, I would meet with this uh, and a fellow engineering student. He was the, the Baha'i faith. And this Baha'i guy and Baha'is believe that all roads lead to God, that everybody is around this mountain and everybody's praying the same God and it's just different paths leading up to the same God, etc. And every Friday for a whole quarter, quarter and a half, we'd meet week after week after week debating about 
the, the uniqueness of Christianity versus the universalism that he held to. The fallacy of his thinking, of course, is that religions contradict one another. And so you cannot have various faiths that lead to the same place when they are saying that one is wrong and the other is right and one is right and the other is wrong and they make contradictory statements that are head-on, illogical. A person must believe in the true God. They have to have their faith in God and who He is. And God rewards those who seek Him. And we walk by that faith, not by sight, as Paul says. For that pleases God. It pleases God. Fifthly, true faith obeys God. And it speaks of Noah in verse 7. Noah, in reverence, prepared an ark. you know Noah was a preacher? Noah preached for all those years that he built that ark. And you can imagine, by faith, this man built this huge boat. And in the book of Genesis, I don't know if you realize how great of a faith this man was. This man was told to build a boat, okay? And here he lives in Mesopotamia. And some commentators might might comment as well and say, even the earth, there's no evidence that it actually had rained. Rain may have even been an unknown thing. So he was here to build this boat. Noah, you go and build this boat. I know you're over 100 years old, but you've got to build this boat. Okay, Noah, you build this boat. Here's how big I want it to be. I want it to be a football field and a half long. I want it to be about four stories high, about 73 feet wide. And I want the footprint of this boat to be about 96,000 square feet. Do you realize Crossroads Bible Church is... That's a huge church, a huge building. That's about 99,000 square feet. The deck area and all of this, and you say, well, at least he had some sons who could help him. (laughs) Well, he didn't have his sons until he was 500 years old. So he was to build this boat in the middle of nowhere in Mesopotamia where he lived. There was the Tigris, there was the Euphrates, but there wasn't a large lake or there wasn't a large sea that was anywhere near him. But yet he was to build this huge boat in his backyard in the middle of nowhere. And yet he began building and building and building, trusting God that God was going to bring rain and God was going to bring these animals, etc. And God was going to save the world through him. And if I were people who were watching this man build a boat, how would you think? You'd probably think the same things I would be. This man is insane. Yet he built it because God commanded him to. And he walked by faith, trusting in God of what even he could not see when God would say, left, right, left, right. Sixthly, true faith trusts God's promises. And it gives the illustration of Abraham, who went out to a place to receive an inheritance. And he went out, amazing what it says here, not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. But he went out in faith. Now some of you are type A personalities. The type that like to plan. If you went on a mission trip, if you went on a trip someplace, you've got to know every single place where you're going to stay and what car you're going to rent and vacation. You've got all the days planned out, etc., etc. And yet here he was called out to a land for a man who was formerly an idolater, as it says in the book of Joshua, this man became a man of great faith, Abraham did. And it says when, in, in, the book of, uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 12, he was to go out and he was to leave everything. And for a man back then, to leave 
everything that he had known. He was going to cut himself completely off. He was going to leave his land, which meant that he was going to leave his entire inheritance. And he was a man of wealth. He was going to leave his extended family. He was going to abandon that society to go to a place where he didn't know. When God said to him at the age of 75 and Sarah was 65, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a child. That child is going to become your heir. And, and throughout all of that, you'll have as many children as the sand on the seashores and as the stars in the sky. And here Abraham trusted in that. His face wavered from time to time, we see. But he held on to what God had called him to. And he went out. And it wasn't until 25 years later that he had that child. God promised. Abraham believed. Even though perhaps the fruit didn't come immediately. You realize William Carey was a missionary to India. Spent 35 years in India and only saw a handful of converts. And yet, because of his work, many, hundreds and thousands of people, even today, are blessed by his work. People will pray many times for decades that somebody might come to know Christ. And in faith, they believe that they will, not only after, until after they die, that this person comes to know Jesus. One commentator wrote, True faith is deaf to doubt. Dumb to discouragement and blind to impossibility. No matter what it experiences, it sees only the promised success. True faith believes God. And God is in control. God is sovereign. God knows what is best. And God will provide for you and for me. Seventhly, true faith can face death. It tells about Isaac and Esau and Jacob and Joseph, etc., about all of these individuals who upon their deathbed trusted in the faith that they had in God. Men who made promises, who blessed individuals whom God was going to bless. Even Joseph who made mention of the Exodus, knowing that the nation of Israel was going to come out of Egypt. He said, don't forget to bring my bones. Matthew Henry writes, quote, Though the grace of faith is of universal use throughout the Christian's life, yet it is especially so when we come to die. Faith has its great work to do at the very last to help believers to finish well, to die to the Lord as to honor Him by patience, hope, and joy so as to leave a witness behind them of the truth of God's Word and the excellency of His ways. You know, I've seen people, a number of people, who were just about to die. They were in the hospital or whatever. And many times you can see those that have a true faith in God. They're ready to go and they'll tell people that they're ready to go. And there's a peace about them because they have a faith and an assurance of things not seen. They have a faith that is strong. They'll be asking people about how they are doing and encouraging them in their walk and encouraging them in their faith. It is that faith that carries us from this life to the next. God has granted to them strength of faith. And that is the exhibition of true faith in God. Eighthly, faith chooses God's way. 
Faith chooses God's way. And here it speaks of Moses in verse 23. Moses' parents chose God's way in verse 23. They weren't afraid. They weren't afraid that someone was going to perhaps kill their child or punish them. So they defied the king. Then Moses chose God's way in verse 24 to 26. How did he choose God's way? It says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. He refused to be called. He was scooped up out of the Nile by Pharaoh's daughter. And then he refused to be called them, choosing instead what? To suffer. To suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin. You ask yourself, how can a man like Eric Liddell, an Olympic champion, abandon the fame and the riches of the world to become a missionary in China? Or how can a person like Baron Justinian von Welts renounce his title as his estates and his income and go to serve God in the Dutch New Guinea? How can people we know, perhaps even in our own lives, sacrifice and give up all a life of comfort, a life of ease, a life that is planned out for, quote-unquote, the American dream and say, you know what, I'm going to go here, be it a place that might be dangerous or suffering, all because of what? Because of faith. They look through spiritual eyes and they see what God has in store. And what a privilege it is that they say, what a privilege it is to go and suffer for the reward that comes. For the reward that comes, that it is all worth it. And like Moses, they chose to reject, it says here, the pleasures of the world. The pleasures of the world and to live for God. Not living for themselves because life is not about you and me. Life is not about the things that this world has to offer. It's not about having a comfortable life. Life is made up of choices and the choices that we make, we make hundreds of decisions every day. And we ask ourselves, what is the basis of those choices? Am I choosing because I believe God and His Word calls me to redeem the time? To take advantage of every opportunity to live for Him or to seek and enjoy the pleasures that sin has to offer. You want to know the strength of a person's faith? All you have to do is look at the choices that they make. Look at the choices they make. Look at the things that they decide to do. You want to know if somebody's serious about God? Maybe you even evaluate your own life or you evaluate the life of your children. Look at the choices that they make. And you look how their faith is then displayed. And the choices that they make, what do they choose? Do they choose like Moses to enjoy the pleasures that this world has, to the comforts of this life? What is their, their goal, their focus, their time, their energy? Or do they choose perhaps even difficult ways of suffering for the reward that is given to those who would do things for God? Ninthly, faith is courageous. Faith is courageous. By faith, Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab did what she did. And again, by faith, all of these individuals, it says to those who were what? Who were sawn in two, who gave of their life, who lived in caves and wore clothing from animals. They weren't even... This, they, they, were, they were so upheld here in this text. It says that the world was not even worthy of these people who lived by faith in God because they believed God. 
And our faith is our faith is proportional to the God that we serve. J.B. Phillips writes in his book, Your God is Too Small. He says that we should be afraid. We should be afraid if our God is a small, puny God. A God who is weak, who can't do anything. A God who is moody. A God who's not faithful. A God that we can't trust. A God that is impotent. A God that is undependable. A God who is weak. A God who is small. And your God is small if you never call upon Him. What kind of God do you understand that you worship? Ask yourself, how often do I go to God? How often do I pray and call upon God? That will tell you how big you believe your God is. If you don't believe your God is very big, you're not going to ask. If you don't believe that a, that a, that a teacher or maybe a banker or some place that, that, that has means, if you don't believe they have any money they can lend you, you're not going to go there. And in the same way, if you don't believe that God can do what He says He is going to do, then you're not going to go to Him. Our God needs to be a big God, which He is. Our God is the God of Scriptures whom we say God spoke and all things came into being. There are many heroes of the faith here that it outlines people who had given their lives and who believed God even to the point of being stoned or living impoverishedly or living in difficult conditions. That the world's eyes would say they're foolish but from God's eyes He would be pleased because they were men and women of faith. I've admired the faith of many. I've read about evangelists or pastors or missionaries, people who have surrendered all to go and serve the King. And being free from anxiety and the worries that we face, we realize, you know what, they are oftentimes small compared, compared to the things that others are spiritually concerned about. For our eyes are oftentimes fixed upon us, or our eyes are often fixed upon our circumstances, and our eyes are often not fixed upon the God who can do all things. The author and the perfecter of faith that says in 12.2, that let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, since there is such a great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11. Let us run the race, it says, run the race to win. To give our lives, to live for the things that truly matter. That we're to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And when we live by faith, I'll tell you, we will please God. And God will bless you in ways that you do not even imagine. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father in heaven. In our world, O oh God, we often cling to what we can see. We live by the plans that we have made. We place our security in the things that we own. We believe in ourselves and our own abilities. But God, you have called us not to place our faith in those things, but to trust in you. That you are a good and gracious Father who gives generously to all who would call upon you. 
So God, I pray that you would take away the anxiety and the worries that so cloud out our vision of you. And may we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Running that race, Father, with a passion and a desire, Lord, that will never end. May you strengthen our faith in these difficult times, O God. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.